Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on making sense, the hub for JP Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm really delighted to be joined by two close colleagues and teammates. Andrew Tyler, head of US market intelligence, and John Schlegel, head of global positioning intelligence. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great. So the last time we all caught up together was when we were in London, and you were providing your outlook for US markets at the time. And Drew, I remember that you were tactically pretty bullish on account of the strength or the resilience in the US economy, and the strong disinflationary forces we were seeing. And that, of course, was just before the May CPI print. And here we are, just having witnessed the June CPI print, another decline. So Drew, can you kick off by letting us know what your core views are on US markets today? Absolutely. And I would just say that I still remain bullish, but I do recognize that coming out of July, things get a little bit trickier. And so what I mean by that is there's a seasonality effect. So June typically is a positive month. July is typically a positive month, but August and September tend to be negative months. So while today's CPI print was supportive of my hypothesis, I do recognize that this move may be dissipating based upon how quickly we've come up in the indices, some of the things that we might hear about positioning from John, uh, but also to, I think, a natural lack of uh, inertia from a dearth of catalyst within the next couple of months. Thank you very much. So it sounds like you're tactically still bullish, but perhaps more moderated versus your view last time we caught up in May. Yes, that's correct. Brilliant. So can we turn to the consumer cash pile and the strength of the US consumer? I remember one of the core arguments you were giving back in May was that you believed the US consumer had more cash and was likely to be more resilient than other market participants might have expected. So what's your take on this now? Yeah, so I still maintain that same view that the consumer remains well capitalized, that consumer household balance sheets are very, very strong, and that that should continue to carry the economy forward vis-a-vis spending. And I think we'll still see probably above expectation growth throughout the rest of the, the year. So kind of thinking about this and, you know, its components, you know, the first thing that I'd say is that checking accounts, savings accounts, money market funds are all elevated relative to pre-COVID levels. And we might get confirmation of this from bank earnings. The second thing I would mention is when we think about household balance sheets, when we think about everything from debt service payments as a percentage of household income or things such as credit card delinquency data and or charge-offs, the data that we're seeing is still supportive of a very strong consumer. Thank you, Drew. Well, that all sounds very positive, but I know that was the case last time we caught up. So how have the numbers actually changed since then? Absolutely. So when we look at a proxy such as credit card charge-offs, and so what a charge-off is for those that are unaware, is after you've been delinquent for 120 days or more, the credit card company can simply write off your debt, and that's what's called a charge-off. So this is one metric that we use as a proxy for consumer health. And so what we've seen is the trend was, coming into COVID, that the charge-offs across the United States was 2.3%. The most recent print is 1.72%, which is up from a low of 87 basis points. So the trend is toward 
towards a normalization, but not yet to a deterioration. And for reference, during the global financial crisis, you saw that the charge-off spiked to about 10.4%. And then the average from 1997 to 2007 was about 6%. So if I'm interpreting this correctly, the sort of super normal, above average health of the consumer is fading somewhat, but it's still looking stronger than historical averages pre-COVID. That's correct. Excellent. Thank you, Drew. So you referenced earnings season earlier. We're obviously just going into Q2 earnings here in the States. And you're obviously looking particularly towards sectors like banks to support or challenge your hypothesis about the consumer cash pile. But more generally, how are you feeling about Q2 earnings? And what do you think investors need to look towards? Absolutely. So when I think about Q2 earnings, the expectation is that you're going to see another decline, maybe about 6.5% on a year-over-year basis. And this is probably going to be the last decline that we're going to see potentially over the next six quarters. So what I'm looking for is how do investors interpret this, meaning are earnings beats rewarded or are earnings mispunished greater than we would normally see? So if we see that earnings beats are rewarded, that might be an indication that investors are looking through this quarter to the future, so the second half of this year and into 2024. And if that is the case, then that should be positive for stocks on a valuation basis, because rather than applying a, a multiple to 2023 earnings, you apply it to a bigger number in 2024. Thank you. So that's a really helpful general overview for Q2 earnings. Are there any specific views you have for sectors going into earnings? Yes, absolutely. So the first I would start with is on the banks. So I think the keys there first is we want to hear commentary from the C-suite as to what a consumer cash levels look like and loan growth. And the second piece to I think with banks is we also want to make sure that the health of the banking system is still robust. Because we obviously had some issues earlier on in the year with some bank failures. Is this a problem that has resurfaced? And that's really what we're going to try to verify with banks. Now shifting gears and thinking about more of the consumer related segments. So consumer staples, consumer discretionary, what we're trying to ascertain there, are there any pockets within the U.S. consumer? Because when we think about the U.S. consumer, all 330 million of us, right, are there any pockets where there's weakness? And if so, does this manifest itself into potential subsectors? And is there a way to monetize that? And then when we also think about housing, right, mortgage rates are very, very high versus history. And we've seen housing and home builders in particular go through a bit of a recession last year, and they've started to, to recover. And then does that momentum carry us forward from here? Because ultimately, when you combine all of this, it gives rise to this concept of a potential asynchronous recession. And what I mean by that is you consider like all 11 sectors across the S&P 500, do they all got to go into a recession together or do they go into a recession at various times? And what it seems like is that they're going to go through the recession at various times. So, for example, in 2022, technology, semiconductors, home builders all tended to experience that recession. Whereas when we look at this year, it's primarily been the banks. But do we also see consumer companies kind of lead into that way as well? Thank you. And I guess to clarify, you're not referring to a general GDP-based recession here. You're referring to an earnings recession, I assume. Absolutely. But there is correlation between both of those. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you, Drew. And you've touched just then on the technology sector, which is obviously a sector that's dramatically outperformed this year and really boosted and driven US equity returns this year. So given that you're reasonably bullish US equities in the near term, do you believe that this technology segment will continue to lead? And is there further upside potential in this group? 
Yes, absolutely. And for the listeners here, I'd first start by saying, as we came into today, a lot of our large cap tech companies, when you think about Apple, Microsoft, Google, Meta, NVIDIA, Tesla, Amazon, that represents about 75% of the S&P's year-to-date gains, which is pretty impressive. So can they continue from here? I think it's a distinct maybe. (laughs) So just to clarify what I mean by that is I think as we kind of go into this earnings season, we're going to start to see, like, do they have the revenue? Do they have the earnings prowess to continue to build upon that growth? And when you kind of relate this back to AI, while AI is a concept that's been around for the better part of two decades, we have to think about the monetization. So when we saw NVIDIA's forward guidance, when they increased that by 50% uh, for a company that was at the time an $800 billion market cap company, if we see the other tech companies do this, then that's going to be a resounding yes. And so what we need to see is does the earnings, do they match up to the sentiment? And so that's what we'll be looking for when they report next month. Thank you so much, Drew. So if I were to summarise, you are tactically continuing to be relatively bullish US equities, albeit perhaps slightly muted relative to your view that we discussed in late May. You're bullish on account of the strength of the consumer and the consumer cash pile, but there are a number of metrics you'll really be focusing on over the coming weeks as we go through earnings season, particularly in the bank segment, to verify that thesis. And equally, I guess, given that technology and the tech stocks that you outlined there have contributed to, I think you said, 75% of US market outperformance this year, that will be another segment that you'll be watching closely. Is that right? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Drew. Well, thank you for having me. So, John, let's turn to you now and let's talk all things positioning. And I guess my first question has to be, This bullishness that Drew has articulated, how does that chime with positioning? Because we discussed on our podcast earlier this week that we have seen significant buying by multiple investor types in US markets over the last two months. And positioning is now looking a little bit heavier versus history as a result of that buying. So the question at this stage has to be, can we be that bullish in the face of more elevated positioning? What's your take? Yeah, so just to give a little perspective on that change of positioning, I think if we go back to the conversation we had a couple months ago in London, Drew was quite bullish, but I would say the overall sentiment uh, was a lot more cautious because of what was coming up with the U.S. debt ceiling and just concerns around that. And so the overall positioning levels were quite muted and still below average. But as we look at what's happened in the last two months, I would say in particular in the first half of June, when we saw that very strong rally, we saw most investor types buying U.S. equities and particularly strong across hedge funds, asset managers. And more recently, I would say it's been more the retail investor that's come into the U.S. market and kind of kept things higher. So, you know, if we put a number around where we see positioning today, we would put it on average around 0.6 deviations above average, which to give some context, it was 0.5 deviations below average in mid-May. So it is above average or a little bit heavy to your point, but is that prohibitive of the markets going higher? I would say no, right? I mean, if we were at one and a half deviations above average, that would be a lot more concerning. But what it does potentially do is it puts more of the onus on the macro and micro data to continue to come in well uh, for the markets to continue to rally from here. And so, you know, one of the things that we have seen a bit is 
a bit of a slowdown in the momentum of that upside and positioning and flows. And so there is a bit of a risk that if some of the data comes in a bit more negatively, at least in the near term, that could lead to a little bit of shakiness and perhaps a modest pullback. But I don't think it's clear, absent a much more negative shock to the markets, that the level positioning on its own presents a huge headwind at this point. Thank you, John. That's really clear. I mean, I think as I've been putting it, the bar for positive surprises is just that much higher now, whether that's positive surprises from the macro data or indeed from Q2 earnings coming up right now. I would certainly agree. Great. So can I ask you about the tech segment from your positioning angle? We know that the tech segment has really dramatically outperformed this year. And I know from all of your data that we have seen significant buying in the tech segment this year. But of course, if we look at market performance just in the last month or so, we have actually seen market breadth increase a little bit. We've seen other segments of US markets like cyclicals outperform and rally. So how have you seen positioning change, if at all, in that context? So I think that's a great point. And I would say from the tech segment specifically, we still see quite a large amount of positivity in the flows. But one of the things that's notable is that it's continued to come more from the retail segment and some of the ETF flows rather than hedge funds. So hedge funds were very strong buyers of, in particular, mega cap tech in March during the rotation out of banks into other pockets, mainly mega cap tech. And then again in May when the AI theme was really heating up. But they've been notably a bit more cautious as we've gotten closer to Q2 earnings. Uh, whereas when we look at other segments like consumer discretionary, in particular parts of the more retail-oriented segment, that's seen a quite a bit of increase in positioning and flows. We've also seen a decent amount of buying in industrials. But this contrast with it isn't happening across every segment that could be called cyclical, if you will. So there's still a lack of willingness to sponsor things like financials or banks, um, as well as energy and materials. So it's not uniformly bullish, even though a lot of the performance has widened out beyond just tech in the last month to most things cyclical, as well as TMT. That's really helpful. Thank you. Can we turn to hedge fund performance? Because you mentioned earlier that last time we caught up in late May, hedge fund positioning and investor positioning as a whole was looking quite light. And therefore, I would assume that the equity market rally has been quite painful for many, particularly for those shorts. So how would you say hedge fund performance has fared since we last caught up in May? So it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, it's been quite challenging for those who are more market neutral and either fundamental equity long short or multi-strategy. Whereas quantitative firms have actually started to perform a bit better as the rally hasn't been as narrow and concentrated in a handful of tech stocks. Yeah. You know, when you break it down a bit further, what it's really come from is the long side, what clients actually own that they expect to go up has performed okay. But what's gone up even faster is hedge fund shorts in the US in general. And then long short or fundamental long short shorts in Europe. And one example of this is when we look at our high short interest basket from early May to mid July, where we are today, it's rallied about 35%. And this is pretty similar to the rally we saw heading into early February of this year, 
or mid-August of last year. So a rally of that sort, you know, we're looking a little bit extended in terms of the relative performance of that, but that clearly is a headwind to anyone who is holding shorts in that segment. And a lot of those shorts are actually in the more consumer discretionary pocket of the market. So mm. with the retail and consumer doing better than expected, that's been one area that's been really tough to stay short. Interesting. Thank you. We've spent a lot of time in this conversation focusing on US markets. And I guess if I were to summarize, Drew, you're relatively bullish on account of the health of the consumer in particular. And John, you are really flagging that positioning is looking far more elevated in US markets today than was the case earlier this year. That's not in itself bearish for markets, but it does suggest that the bar for positive surprises from the macro data or Q2 earnings is that much higher. So that's really fascinating and really helpful context. So John, you have a global remit and you look at positioning on a global basis. Is there anything that really stands out to you when you look outside the US? And are there any messages that are actually quite different when you look at markets outside of the US? That's a great question. I think there's one segment that stands out, and that would be China. If I were to rewind, the sentiment or view around China at the very start of this year was actually quite bullish. It was expected to be one of the outperformers for the year. And we saw that in terms of the performance of the markets from November through January was very positive, and the flows and positioning picked up pretty materially. And since then, it's basically gone in reverse. Um, but at this point, I would say if we look at something like the flows we see from the hedge community over the past one to two months, we've seen quite a bit of selling. And even on some pockets of the market or days when things have performed better, there's been a real reticence to buy, right? So I think in terms of the setup, given positioning we see, especially for more of the local China stocks, is around two and a half year lows. If you were to see some meaningful stimulus being enacted that kind of changes the market's view from something that's much more small to something that could be more meaningful. I think there is definitely a setup there where positioning could be supportive of a move higher. But I think, you know, what we've seen from that market over the last number of weeks is that there's a lot of reticence to be too early to that trade. And so there's a lot of investors that seem to be in wait and see mode. Thank you so much, John. And can we just turn to Europe? Because one of the core views we have as a team is we're more optimistic and bullish on US equities than European equities on account of stronger macro momentum in the US versus Europe right now, and also weaker inflation or greater disinflationary forces in the US versus Europe right now. So from a positioning perspective, is there anything that you're seeing, John, in Europe that might back up or counter that view? So I would say the view from the positioning and flows perspective is one that's become much more neutral again between the two regions. Mm. Whereas if I think back to where things stood about three months ago or so, it had been a lot more positively skewed towards Europe on account of very strong buying amongst hedge funds of the European markets and CTA positioning that was very stretched in Europe, but yeah. very neutral to light in the US. If I think about where things are today, though, that's largely gone in reverse as Europe has unperformed the US, and now you're back to a very neutral standpoint. So there is potential for investors in general to get more bearish on Europe and potentially a little bit more bullish on the US. So that spread, if you will, that difference could get more negative towards Europe versus the US. But it's not clear at this point that there is a major difference between the two that should go one way or the other. 
thank you. That makes sense. And I guess my take on that is if the positioning is neutral, then the baton switches to the fundamentals, where I think our core view is that the fundamentals are stronger right now in the US versus in Europe. I think that's definitely possible. And the momentum's certainly on the US side for the moment. Absolutely. Thank you, John. So before we wrap up, can I just hear from both of you in terms of factors you're watching over the coming months to help inform your view? Absolutely. So the two things I would mention would first be an exhaustion of shock to inflation, which most likely would occur from the commodity complex. And then really after that, it comes down to what's going to go on with U.S. Treasuries and the shape of the yield curve. Because if we're correct in terms of thinking July is the end of the hiking cycle, typically what would happen is that yields move lower, specifically in the front end, and that curve steepening would be supportive of cyclicals, but tech as well. Thank you, Drew. And John? So I'd be watching how some of the momentum in the flows, which have been quite positive in the U.S., how those start to shift. One question I have is, do we finally see more broad capitulation on the short side, which could mark kind of a near-term top, especially at least in the highly shorted stocks? But then more generally, there are a number of relative trades between different sectors or regions that are quite stretched at the moment with fairly stretched positioning. And you know, I'll be watching for whether or not this starts to reverse all of what we saw in Europe versus the U.S., where it took a few months, but then it did reverse. So yeah. it might take a little bit of time for some of these to play out. Great. Thank you. Well, Drew, John, it's been brilliant being with you in person this week. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak today. Thank you for having us. Excellent. And I know the two of you will be releasing another podcast in about a month, by which stage we will have seen a number of these data points around Q2 earnings. So I'm sure that will be an interesting one worth listening into. Thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this biweekly podcast from our group. If you do have feedback or questions, do contact us via the contact us form on our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market data dash intelligence. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan. They are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.